All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas. Welcome back to Making the Argument post-Independence Day episode. And today what we're going to discuss is... Uh, some of the tweets and some of the articles that were coming out predominantly from left-wing videos or left-wing uh, narratives, whether it be the newspaper, whether it be Twitter, et cetera, those accounts, uh, discussing their views on the 4th of July. Now, want to be careful here. I'm, I'm not attempting to suggest that everybody that has is a Democrat thinks the way that these people do. However, this is becoming a far more prominent trend from left-wing outlets and from prominent people in left-wing positions, whether it be in positions of uh, influence or positions of politics, et cetera, like their view of the 4th of July. Now, I think for most of us um, on the right, when we look at Independence Day, that it's, it's literally the, the country's birthday for us, right? And, in, and we celebrate it, we're patriotic, and we're, and we're proud of it. We're proud of our country. We're generally proud of our country's history. We're generally proud of our um, country's founding ideals. None of that is to say that we think our country is perfect, right? But it's a special day to recognize what's best about the country and what is hopefully unifying about the country. And that is the idea of things like individual liberty, uh, self-determination, property rights, uh, limited constitutional government, right? These are things that are, are supposed to be unifying principles and are part of the core. They're part of the foundation of what it is to be American or what America is all about, right? Now, Obviously, when you look throughout world history, countries can start off one way, go in a vastly different direction, et cetera. The question are, what are, what are those cultural components of your nation that makes it unique, that, that stands the test of time? And again, I think those core founding principles are, are certainly what has been unique about us and what has been unifying about what we believe does not mean we always live up to it, right? Clearly, we did not always live up to it. We didn't live up to it at our founding. We're not completely living up to it now, but we've gotten a whole lot better. That's why we talk about creating a more perfect union. But this is a time to celebrate. And the left has decided to use it as a time to remind us of how horrible we are, right? And again, when I say the left, I don't mean everybody on the left. I'm talking about some of the specific people we're going to discuss here because it is prominent people. Washington Post had four different articles on this. New York Times ran articles. NPR tweeted out the Declaration of Independence, but then had to talk about how fundamentally flawed and hypocritical it was. And, um, you know, members of Congress making statements about, you know, America's still not free for black people. So that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go look at, at why do we celebrate? We celebrate because 
one, it's our country. There's a common culture and experience. That doesn't mean, you know, everyone has had the exact same experience, but there's common culture and experience within the United States rooted around certain fundamental principles, which we all recognize, we don't completely live up to, but we strive toward, and we are proud of that. And therefore we are proud of our, those historical moments where Americans have stood tall in order to either expand liberty, defend liberty, uh, expand civil liberties, etc. One of the things I find so interesting about this, and I want to talk about this um, a little bit more in depth, but we're, we're going to be talking about the compared to what. Because one of the reasons why it's so frustrating, I think, to many of us on the right, and if you're on the left and you're listening to this and you want to understand why conservatives get so frustrated when we see these tirades on the 4th of July is because, again, we see this as the country's birthday. Okay, so I want you to imagine going to a birthday party for a parent or a friend. And you show up to their birthday party, a celebration of their birth, and you say, yeah, I like you, yeah, you're my friend, or yeah, you're my mom, yeah, I'm my dad, but here's a list of all the horrible things I don't like about you. I mean, yeah, you did all this other you know, good things, or, or you have good ideas, but here's all the times you didn't live up to them the way I think you should have, and I think we need to focus on that on your birthday. Right? It's the equivalent of that for us. It's, it's not that we can't have discussions about America's flaws. And believe me, it happens everywhere. One of the biggest, I, I think, absurdities out there is this claim coming from people that, well, the United States, they are unwilling to have an honest and hard conversation about our flaws. Really? Because last time I checked, I can't turn on a song, watch a TV show, you know, attend a college course, watch a news report without somebody critiquing our flaws. And, and it's not like we're rounding these people up and putting them in jail. They have platforms. They have huge platforms. Sometimes they control the entire network. So this idea that we're not willing to have these conversations, spare me. Yes, we are. You want to know what countries are, are a little bit more reticent to have hard conversations about their flaws? Uh, socialist countries. Yeah, you, you don't get a lot of you know, deep introspection coming from communist China or Hugo Chavez's Venezuela or Kim Jong-un's North Korea. Not a lot of introspection, not a lot of freedom in the media or academic or arts and entertainment community to talk about inherent flaws or problems or contradictions within the system. Now, that, that's something you typically find in free countries. So spare me, all right? We do have these conversations. We don't necessarily want to have them on the country's birthday. And, and I don't think that's unreasonable, all right? So when it's the 4th of July, Let's come together and let's focus on the good aspects. That, that's what a birthday celebration is about. It's focused on the good aspects, the things you appreciate about someone or something. In this case, it's, it's the United States. But that was way too much to ask from some of the following people that we're going to read tweets from. So let's go ahead and read through some of these tweets, and then we're going to respond to them, right? We're going to make an argument on, on kind of what are the problems with some of these tweets. The first argument is, do you really got to do this on the 4th of July? Right? I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be, a, again, a hard conversation about our flaws. I'm just saying that is, is 4th of July really the most appropriate place to do it if you want people to listen to what it is you have to say? Because I, I think Jordan Peterson ha has said something that I think is, is really insightful. He says, before you start taking criticism from somebody, you should probably ask yourself, what is this person's intentions? Does this person want the best for me? Do they want me to improve? Do they want me to be better? Right? Not, not just for society's sake, but for my own sake. Or are they an opponent? Are they an enemy? They just don't like me or, or they're trying to tear me down. Because if they are, well, then I'm not really going to listen to your criticism. Yes, it's hard to have a conversation with someone that wants to destroy you or wants to destroy the thing that you love. Yes, it is hard to have an honest conversation with someone like that. 
But if you're someone of goodwill that really legitimately wants to have an honest conversation, have a back and forth and share perspectives and see where we can agree and work together, well then maybe showing up to the birthday party and talking about how the subject of the birthday party sucks is not the best way to foster communication. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, right? So that's point one. Let's read through some of these other uh, tweets. So Democrat Representative Cory Bush tweeted out, when they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen land and black people still aren't free. Okay, here's the important part to, to ask whenever you see something like this. The first thing, and, and again, I, I hit on this every single time, define your terms. When somebody says freedom, be like, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by freedom? Because I think we have a, a general understanding of what we mean by that, right? But you watch like Braveheart, right? Watch Braveheart and Mel Gibson gets up there. He's William Wallace. He shouts out freedom. You know, at the end of the movie, he's captured, but the, the Scots and Robert the Bruce gained their freedom. All right. Were they free in the sense that we think of freedom in America? No, not really. They were still living under a centralized government, a monarchy, but it was a Scottish monarchy, not a foreign power, right? So that's one way to look at freedom, right? It's freedom from oppression or domination or rule by a foreign power. The, the American version of freedom was, was rooted in something more than that, okay? And, and it's not, the American version of freedom was rooted in this idea that, that freedom is inherent. That, that's why you see references to God, right? To nature's law and nature's God within the Declaration of Independence. It's this idea that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all right? That is, that is a pretty monumental concept. We think of it now as being kind of a foregone conclusion, but we're also living in the benefit of a society that took that statement seriously, right? I, I, again, I don't mean they perfectly applied it, but the statement was taken seriously. And how do you know that? Well, because civil rights leaders all the way up to Martin Luther King would appeal to the founding documents. They would appeal to the Declaration of Independence. They would appeal to the Constitution. They would appeal to the, the morals and the concepts which informed the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Right, so it's, it's not like a lot of the modern day so-called civil rights leaders that are attempting to throw everything out. Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, I mean, you name it, going back, they appealed to the Declaration of Independence. They essentially held it up as a mirror and they said, look, you said you believe this, but that's not what's going on. That's not, people are not being treated as if they are, are created equal, right? They're not being treated as if they have unalienable rights and, and you need to live up to your promise, right? And, and that's been part of, the, that's been part of the, the struggle, the challenges that we've gone through as a country is living up to that initial promise. So it wasn't about throwing all of that out. It was about saying, this is good. We all acknowledge this is good. This is one of the things that makes America so unique in the world is that freedom is not just simply the grant of your monarchy. It's not simply a grant of the ruling class, no. It's something that you are owed because God made you free. And government's job is not to come in and micromanage your life. It's not to come in and restrict you in inappropriate ways. Government's first responsibility is to actually protect those freedoms. Protect those freedoms from others, whether they be within society or outside of your country, that would come in and attempt to deny you them. Right? That, that, was, that was incredible. And again, we look at it now as like, well, this is just a foregone conclusion. Well, it sure as hell wasn't in 1776. That was considered a completely radical notion. And to not respect that at that time, that it was, it was considered just absurd that you could, you could actually manage a large country 
under those, under those sorts of concepts, that you wouldn't even, even in, even in freer countries, because England was certainly free by comparison with a lot of other countries in the world at that time, but they still had a very, very strong um, ruling aristocracy. Um, yeah, there was freedom, there was, some, there was some upward economic mobility and things like that, but there was still a very, the, the class um, component of society was still very, very strong. So this idea that we were really relying more on self-governance and, and kind of rebelling against this idea of an aristocracy as it had been understood up to that point in history, this was huge. And the people now that look back at it is like, well, of course, this is a foregone conclusion. I can't believe you didn't live up to it. Why don't you go read what contemporaries were writing at the time? In all the countries you admire, right? Whether it was France, whether it was the UK, would, you know, Prussia, et cetera. I mean, go back to wherever you want and look at what people were writing about this American experiment. It was monumental. It was, it was history changing. But now it gets treated like it's, well, no, no, it wasn't really that. What it was really about, and here we go again, it was just for white people. Um, and the land was stolen. And black people still aren't free. All right, first point, it was just for white people. That is, that is demonstrably untrue. That is demonstrably untrue. Because there were free black people, and there were people of other races in the United States that were not being held in slavery, to which the Constitution and the law applied equally to them. Does that mean that it was written equally to them? Does that mean that local magistrates or local governments always dealt with it that way? No. But this idea that nobody was free except for white people, okay, that, that's not true. They, they were experiencing a level of freedom which was unknown in most of the world. And we, we know this in part because people were coming to the United States. They were fleeing other countries to get to here. Now, again, was it perfectly applied? No. Did slavery exist at that time? Absolutely. Was there, was there a lot of racism? Absolutely. That was a global concept. So this idea that, that, the, that the good parts about the United States are far-gone conclusions and that the bad parts are unique to the United States is utterly ridiculous. All right, was the land stolen? Yeah, some of it was, I, I would say, straight-up stolen. Others was... There was treaties that were broken. Sometimes we broke them. Sometimes indigenous peoples broke them. There was fights. There was conquest. Again, not, not excusing it, but I'm also going to say that this was kind of the norm in history for all of human history. Conquest was, it, it's not like when we got to North America, uh, American settlers to America invented conquest. It's not like there was no fighting going on over land or hunting grounds or resources. That was going on before we got here. Okay, so again, not excusing conquest as a mechanism for achieving wealth or property, but, but the idea that, again, you're going to hold this up as, as, as if it's some sort of unique concept or that the thing we're celebrating on Independence Day is that we stole land. Right? No, that, that's not what's going on. All right, and what's the third one? Right, Black people still aren't free. Again, there was definitely black people that were enslaved in the United States at our founding. Slavery's over. 1964 Civil Rights Act is essentially barred anywhere in the United States for denying someone access to opportunity or the law. It's provided equal protection before the law. Now, again, you, you, can, you can point out different applications and say, well, it wasn't applied correctly there. It wasn't applied correctly there. But this idea that black people are not free in the United States today, okay, compared to where? That, that's what I want to know. This goes, and this is a common thing I'm going to say throughout all of these arguments, right? Compared to what? First, define your term. Tell me what freedom really is. Because if your idea of freedom is not just you're free from oppression, 
or you're, you're free to pursue opportunities provided you don't infringe on the liberties of other people. If that's not your version of freedom, if your version of freedom is you're only truly free if we have the sort of outcomes that you want, well then that's not a version of freedom that we've ever recognized and that quite frankly is oppressive. It's not free. If, if you're demanding equal distribution or equal outcome of results without taking into account labor or effort or creativity or innovation in, in the individual endeavors that actually create results, if you're just going to classify everything by groups, I would suggest to you that's both racist and potentially oppressive. So what do you mean by freedom first? And then second of all, compared to what? Because if you're just comparing it to an ideal, then that's fine. I, I think it's good to pursue an ideal outcome. But while you pursue that ideal outcome, you should have some appreciation for human history and human nature and what's actually going on in the world. Because if you're living in the place that actually affords you some of the best opportunities in all of human history to include right now in human history, and you're basically saying that we just suck, then I'm going to say, okay, well, where would you rather be? Because now you're, you're not comparing the United States to something else tangible that we can look at, see, and say, okay, wow, they're doing that a whole lot better than we are. You know, can, can we replicate that? If you're just comparing it to an ideal, well, then instead of talking about how crappy you are, why don't you say, look, you know, we, we've made a lot of progress. I mean, look at it compared to the rest of human history. We, we've come a long way. Here's how I think we can do better. Okay, that's fair. That's a, that's a conversation I'm interested in having because now it sounds like you actually care about the direction of the country rather than just tearing it down or completely ignoring the context you don't like. All right, let's look at the next one. Former MSNBC anchor, oh gosh, to our, was far more vocal tweeting out, F Independence Day. Not only were we not free, the whole reason the colonies wanted independence was because Britain was moving toward abolishing slavery. Why would black people celebrate a day so wrapped up in our enslavement? This is just fundamentally wrong. All right, independence was not declared because England was about to abolish slavery and, and we didn't want our, and the people in the South that owned slaves didn't want their slaves freed. That, that's just, that's not accurate. Slavery existed well after the American Revolution in England. And slavery existed in Africa all the way up until uh, late 20th century. So this idea that, once again, that, that slavery was somehow unique to the United States or that the whole reason why we fought for independence was wrapped up in the notion of wanting to preserve slavery is absurd on a couple of levels. One, you can actually go to the Declaration of Independence and you can read all the grievances that we had. Because, you know, again, there's been some historians that have wanted to frame everything from an economic perspective with respect to the, the independence, right? It was no taxation without representation is why we went to war. No, no taxation without representation was one of several reasons we went to war. We went to war over the king meddling, like dissolving uh, local governments, local courts. We went to war over the king trying to confiscate our firearms. We went to war over taxation without representation. We went to war because he meddled in, in different foreign and in different affairs and risked getting the United States into wars. There was a whole number of reasons. In fact, one of the reasons that Jefferson mentioned in the original drafting of the Declaration of Independence actually had to do with slavery. Right now, again, you can critique that the reason why it was removed was because they were worried that they wouldn't get all the, the colonies on board and they needed the full strength of all the colonies to break away from England in order to make it happen. Now, you, you can critique that, and I understand the moral critique of it. You can also look at it in context where it's like, okay, well, the only way we could eventually get to the America that we have today is if we made certain decisions then. Now, again, I, I'm someone that says I, <laughs> I'm a little bit more hardcore on the abolition side. 
All right, but I also understand the nature of the decisions that were being made at that time when they were when they were writing the Declaration of Independence. I, I think we should have gone, I, I think we should have enshrined that in the Constitution. But it's also difficult to see how we would have won the war with England had we, had we done that at that point. Again, doesn't excuse it, doesn't excuse any of it. Um, but I think it's important to understand that this, this notion that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery, in order to believe that, you would have to believe that most of the northern colonies, which, whose economies were not in any way, shape, or form relying upon slavery, that they somehow would have gone to war and fight because most of the, most of the hotbed revolutionary fervor was from Virginia north, with the exception of New York and Pennsylvania. New York was concerned about going to war because over trade issues. Pennsylvania was also concerned because um, Dickinson didn't think that we were ready to fight a revolution. Virginia was a hotbed of revolutionary fervor. South Carolina was dead set against um, uh, independence initially. You go look at some of the, the debates between, um, you'll see South Carolina, New, South Carolina, New York, and Pennsylvania kind of aligned against Massachusetts and Virginia. Right, so th this idea that a, a bunch of states that did not rely on slavery for the, the, you know, their economies are somehow gonna go to war with a country that also has the institution of slavery because they're afraid they'll lose their slaves, that, that's just ignorance. That is complete ignorance of U.S. history. Right, let's look at the next one. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> Actress Alyssa Milano also disparaged the 4th of July by sharing a TikTok video of herself reading, Remember, the United States was founded on the unjust treatment of Native Americans, Africans, and other people of color. Okay. This is a, this is a distinction that doesn't seem to be made uh, in a lot of left-wing circles and a lot of 1619 Project thing. When you say something is founded on something, okay, you, you are suggesting that it is absolutely fundamental to the core of whatever ever it is that you are founding. All right, if it was the case, if it was the case that the United States was founded and one of its primary purposes was to oppress or treat unjustly Native Americans, Africans, and other people of color, we never would have written the Declaration of Independence the way we did. Never. Never would have written it that way if that's what you were, if that's what you were after. If the primary goal of whatever it is you were founding, in this case a country, or at least the, the separation of 13 colonies from, from the British Empire, you would not have written the Declaration of Independence the way Thomas Jefferson did. You just wanted it. Now, were those things going on at the same time that the founding was happening? Yes. But there's a difference between something being founded on a particular principle and something correspondingly taking place at the time that you're founding something. Now, that, again, once again, does not excuse what's going on, does not excuse the corresponding action that is taking place, does not excuse that slavery was permitted in the Constitution the way it was originally written, right? Does, does not excuse the, the fact that we allowed certain states to continue to do slavery because we were worried about the war. Does, doesn't excuse any of that. I'm not making those excuses. I am saying that from a contextual standpoint, if what you're saying is true, then I would have thought it would have been better reflected in the arguments that we made for our independence. Instead, what you see within the Declaration of Independence and later in the Constitution, what you see is a drive away from slavery. You see the seeds for abolition being sown within those documents. And if you don't believe that, go talk to Frederick Douglass, who was born in slavery, was, one of the, was the preeminent civil rights activist of the 19th century, and see what he wrote about the Constitution. See what he wrote about the founding ideals of this country. Because he was a whole hell of a lot closer to it than any of us are today. 
And, and I think he had some very, very important, and he actually wrote a whole, he had wrote an entire paper, gave a speech on the 4th of July and why the 4th, he felt that the 4th of July at a certain point was something that black people could not fully embrace because it served as a reminder of the rights and liberties they were being denied in slavery. But when he said it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, he wasn't trashing Independence Day. He wasn't trashing the Declaration of Independence. He was saying there is, there is work to be done in, in order to fully recognize the ideals that we were founded upon. And that seems very different than what I'm seeing here, where it's just trashing the United States. All right, <clears throat> let's look at uh, another one. NPR tweeted out a thread of original Declaration of Independence claiming it to be a document with flaws and deeply ingrained hypocrisies. What's, what's interesting about this is that, again, you, you can certainly say that there were hypocrisies with respect to what was going on in the, what was being said in the Declaration of Independence and what was going on in the country. You, you could certainly make that claim. Now, a lot of left-wing things have, say, have, have said that, well, the NPR put out the Declaration of Independence and the right flipped out about it. No, the right didn't flip out about the Declaration of Independence. The right flipped out about, once again, on America's birthday, you decided to do a, a kind of a backhand slap at America. I, I get it. You guys, there, there are so many people that all they want to talk about is the flaws in the United States. Okay? The reason why it's especially frustrating on 4th of July is because that's the country's birthday. It's supposed to be the one day where maybe we can just focus on the good things. Maybe we can focus on that. Because, not to mention the fact that when you focus on the good, a lot of times it helps people to accomplish more of the good. When you focus almost exclusively on the bad, it's, it, it, it's not that it can't be instructive, but my gosh, it gets a little depressive, especially when you can't even cool it on Independence Day. All right, Washington Post went even further. A lot of this is coming from a Fox News report. There's a really good Fox News article that kind of listed all this stuff if you want to check that out. Washington Post went even further by posting several opinion pieces that critique the holiday or use it for political partisanship. These pieces included, the fourth is for complainers. Independence, Independence Day 2021 is an apt occasion to celebrate Americans' liberation from Trump. And a perspective piece titled, fourth of, July 4th is Independence Day for two countries, but for one it is hollow. All right, not to be outdone, the New York Times <clears throat> opinion piece suggested that the American flag became a symbol of divisiveness in an article titled, A Fourth of July Symbol of Unity That May No Longer Unite. And they went on to say this, Today, flying the American flag from the back of a pickup truck or over a lawn is increasingly seen as a clue, albeit an imperfect one, to a person's political affiliation in a deeply divided nation. Well, let me ask you something. Is that, is that our fault? Is, is it our fault that conservatives, overwhelmingly in polls, say that they are extremely proud to be Americans? By the way, they say that regardless of who's president. There was a Gallup poll not too long ago during the Trump administration where only 67% of Democrats said that they were extremely um, proud to be Americans versus 97% of Republicans. So are, I'm sorry, are we tarnishing the flag because we're proud of it? And, and we're proud of it when you guys are in charge? It, it seems to me that it, we, we shouldn't be catching any heat for the fact that, that we wave the American flag because we're proud of our country. The Biden administration, how did they celebrate the 4th of July? Well, this was interesting. They had, a, they had a tweet go out. I actually saw this. It said, the cost of a 4th of July cookout in 2021 is down 16 cents from last year. Wow. The tweet read, citing the Farm Bureau, the accompanying slideshow illustrates the dip in prices for some of the essential food for most cookouts. 
Yeah, that's how, because that's what the 4th of July is about. Cookouts, right? That's what it's about. Not to mention the fact that, okay, Joe, if you're going to talk about, um, you know, if, if you're going to selectively pick certain items off of common cookouts and say, oh my gosh, look at that, you're 16 cents better off this 4th of July. Not if you drove to the store, Joe. Not if you drove to the lake. Not if you went to go see family. You had to drive anywhere. Not only did you pay more for gas, but your dollar in most cases doesn't go as far due to your inflationary monetary policy. So spare me. All right. But the one I really want to talk about in closing up, the one I really want to talk about. So we've already seen right here that there was a kind of a stream from different left-wing influencers, members of Congress, um, authors, where it's, it's essentially either trashing the United States, right? That's the central thrust of their 4th of July remarks. It wasn't even really to say, you know, hey, despite all of our flaws, we've accomplished some good things, and that's what 4th of July is about, is, is focusing on the good and trying to expand it. Nope, it just, we suck. That was pretty much their central theme. And, and we already went through some of the problems with the way the theme. Either they don't define freedom well, or they're, they're portraying a, um, a view of what's going on in the world right now that just does not reflect reality, or they're comparing everything to some ideal in their head that has never existed in reality. And so therefore, they're not actually making a contextual argument, right? All of those are problems with some of the tweets that you saw, or they're completely getting history wrong. But I read an article in the, in the LA Times, and this was actually from 2017. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think this provides some insight, and I'm really, really curious to see how this goes. Because in 2017, there was an article from the, uh, in the LA Times and the article was from uh, Cassidy Rosenblum. And it was titled, How Should an Angry Liberal Celebrate the Fourth of, the jo- Fourth of July? And then in the title it says, Fly the Flag Even Higher. So that's interesting. What she's saying that as a young progressive, the way they should celebrate the Fourth of July is they should be extra patriotic. So that, that, that almost, you almost look at that as conservative and you're like, okay, this is good. Like, you know, if... If we're going to double down on patriotism and what unites us and the, and the ideals, and then, you know, we can work through where we agree and work together on those things, great. But let's see what she actually wrote. Because remember, this is, this is right after the Obama administration, beginning of the Trump administration. She writes, when Barack Obama was president, there was a growing sense among us young progressives that the arc of the moral universe was indeed starting to bend toward justice. It was slow and it was imperfect, but our fitful progress along it endowed many of us with a sense of pride. The flag looked a little different. It looked like something that could be ours. Okay, do you see the difference there? The flag was something that could be theirs, provided that their president, the person they wanted for president was in charge, and they were giving what they wanted from a legislative or legal perspective. Then it could be theirs. Then, Then America was worthy of joining them. Continues on. This year, the holiday weekend finds many of us in a darker mood. It is our first 4th of July with President Trump. The refugee ban is back on. And somewhere in America, Paul Ryan is cracking another cold one while 22 million Americans are at a risk of losing their health insurance. The arc isn't bending as fast as we thought. Again, this is just whatever. It's the sort of left-wing stuff you expect. In light of so much injustice, how should we observe Independence Day? Should we dismiss the holiday altogether Roll up our flags and boycott the barbecues like Los Angeles considering scrapping Columbus Day for Indigenous Peoples Day. We could scrub the 4th of July and give it a makeover. Instead of red, white, and blue, we could don black. Right, so th- this is her giving some, 
This is her giving some insight into moods within progressive circles about how they view the 4th of July if their guy's not in power. She goes on, such a response would be in line with recent trends. Over the last year, patriotism has been dropping sharply among Democrats. According to a Gallup poll from March, 67% of Democrats said they are very proud to be an American compared with 92% of Republicans. She goes on, while denouncing the fourth may be emotionally satisfying, cognitive science suggests it would be politically unwise. So remember that first part, the lead into this article, when we're, when we're looking at the title of the article, and it's all about how should angry progressives celebrate the fourth, raise the flag even higher. But then you find out that, okay, they're not doing it because they feel a sense of belonging or patriotism or unity with respect to American ideals. They're doing it because denouncing the fourth may be emotionally satisfying, but cognitive science suggests it would be politically unwise. So what should I take from that? Is it a trick? As UC Berkeley's George Lakoff preaches, people are drawn to positive messages far more than negative ones, even when the negative ones are backed up with facts. According to Lakoff, this is why Trump won the election. It's also why we can't afford to be downers on the 4th. If Lakoff is right, we should salute the flag instead of burning it. Instead of railing against Trump, we should talk about why we are so much about the Constitution. I would love to hear why you're so much about the Constitution, because quite frankly, I don't see it. If our uncle shows up wearing a, this is what a real patriot looks like shirt, we should put on one too. The point is not mimicry, but reframing. So back in 2017, this is what they were talking about the day before the 4th of July on how progressives should approach the 4th of July. And the whole concept was not about, you know what? We shouldn't let conservatives run away with the title of patriot. We shouldn't let conservatives define what patriotism is. That, that really wasn't it. It, 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 it. We shouldn't do that. And what we should do is we should focus on the things about America that we truly enjoy and appreciate in order to make us better going forward. To highlight the positive on the 4th of July, to discuss the negative at other times, but to really focus on, gosh, this was a great moment in U.S. history and it was something that united us. And, and let's do more of that. No, 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 no. That, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. It was if they want to win political power, if they want to get and maintain political power, then the political science suggests to them that they have to at least give us a veneer of patriotism and they have to reframe it into what they think patriotism should be. And what they think patriotism should be is more centralized power within the government. Now, Again, I, that's not just my opinion of this. When, when I look at all the political trends coming out of the progressive left, when I look at the policy trends, that's what I see. Higher taxes, more regulations, more rules, more government programs, more government power. So it, it's like their, their sense of patriotism is around those ideals. And if anybody on the left is watching, we're listening. And you're wondering why, more and more, we view all of this with a sense of distrust. It goes back to what Jordan Peterson said earlier, that, that quote I mentioned from him. When someone starts criticizing you, or critiquing you, or slamming you, a wise person will consider 
critiques. A wise person will consider criticism of themselves. But it also pays to ask yourself, is that criticism designed in order to make the country, myself, all of us better? Or is the criticism designed to destroy? That's one question. What this article makes me concerned about is that are the areas where we could potentially agree, like the flag, like patriotism, like the 4th of July, are they now going to be used as a way to tear us down by pretending that we're going in the same direction? Now, I will say this. I don't think Cassidy's wrong with respect to her strategy. I don't much appreciate the intentions behind it because it doesn't seem to me like unifying around American principles. It seems giving the impression of unity in order to drastically change something so that it doesn't bear any resemblance to those principles of individual liberty, self-determination, limited constitutional government, reining in political power. But if this last 4th of July tells us anything, when Democrats are in control, the president's a Democrat, Senate is controlled by Democrats, the House is controlled by Democrats, and on this 4th of July, they still couldn't help themselves but to just systematically trash the United States. Again, I'm not claiming that every Democrat did that. I'm not claiming that every Democrat felt this way. But it is amazing to watch the articles that the Washington Post, the New York Times, what the White House decided to put out, what members, uh, Democrat members of Congress decided to put out, what Democrat authors decided to put out, what Democrat influencers decided to put out on the 4th of July. It was there to systematically trash the United States. And so I'm having a hard time believing, I'm having a hard time believing that the sort of critiques or criticism or hard conversations you want to have are there to achieve anything other than the complete revamping and the complete rejection of American founding principles to be replaced with a progressive agenda that bears very little resemblance to the principles mentioned in our Declaration of Independence. And ultimately, I believe, will destroy the very things that has made America so unique throughout human history. So, as we go forward and we look at these things, I think the, the best advice I can give is that when we talk about how much we love the United States, when we talk about our history, I think it's important that we be honest about it. I really do. I think it's important that we, we evaluate and reevaluate things that we know or that we think we know about our history and that we're always open to looking at it from new perspectives. But I also think that there's something fundamental about the ideas within the Declaration of Independence, the ideas of everyone being created equal and entitled to certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not the provision of happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Those ideas of individual liberty, private property rights, self-determination, personal responsibility, limited constitutional government, restraining government power, those are so fundamental to the United States that to lose them is to fundamentally alter this country in such a way to where the term America will simply be one of describing geography rather than an all-encompassing one, which also includes those most fundamental aspects of the American character. And I hope we're not going down that path. And all of us have an obligation to fight 
for that aspect of America, that idea of America that has made us a great and wonderful country with all of our flaws. And that if we stick to it, we'll continue to be a great country. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to like and share and follow, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is. Leave us a comment. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Leave us a comment on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Give us feedback. And uh, let us know about future episodes you might be interested in. All right, this is Nick Freitas Making the Argument. Thank you very much. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.